the um, purpose of Kabbalah discussing in great detail the existence of Klippa, what is Klippa, how is Klippa, why is Klippa, and we want, we're wondering what is the purpose of, of Kabbalah going to such great detail, why discuss Klippa at such length? And people think that the Torah is meant to be a, um, a manual for creation. There's creation, there's the world. And the Torah tells us how to use the world. But Hasidus emphasizes that it's not that the Torah is the manual of the world. At first there's the world, and first there's us. Now let's figure out how to, do, how to, how to make the best of our circumstances, and that's the Torah. It's the opposite. The Torah existed before there was a world. Before you have existence, you have purpose. Torah is purpose. Before you have an iPad, you first have the need for an iPad. And because there's a need for an iPad, therefore you create the existence of an iPad. So the Torah is the source of everything in creation. And in order for everything to exist, um, they, they first had, had to exist in the Torah. And so too with Klippa. Klippa also exists first in the Torah. First Torah discusses Klippa. And from the existence of, of the evil in the Torah, that's how there emerges from there the existence of, of um, evil in the world. And the mission of every Jew is to transform evil to good, and uh, not just to turn away from evil, but to transform evil, evil to itself to good. The verse reads, turn away from evil and do good. And we learned the meaning of this is, step one is turn away from evil. Step two is transform the evil itself into good. So, so Hashem's creation of evil, before there's a cre- the creation of evil, there is a purpose of evil. The purpose of evil itself is to be transformed to good. And I mentioned this uh, story in the Gemara. I glossed over it yesterday. I um, uh, just share a few of the details of the story, just to give us some insight of, of, of what we're talking about. Um, the Gemara says a story about a man who... Uh, was attracted to some harlot who lived in an in, in island. And she charged 400 gold coins. And he went to this island and he sent the money. And her maidservant told the harlot that the guy's here. And so she uh, arranged there to be seven um, floors of seven beds, seven floors and that, and of, of silver, and, he, and, a, and a ladder of silver between each floor. And, and she was on a golden bed in the top one. And, the, and, the, and uh, this guy, he climbs up all the beds, and she is sitting on the top bed, and, uh, and all, all of a sudden his tzitzis gets in, in, his, in his eye, and he jumps down from the top all the way to the floor, and she jumps down with him, and she says, tell me, am I so ugly? Uh, what do what, what you find in me that's not, that's not so, uh, that, you, that, you, that you left me? So he said, you're the most beautiful person I've ever seen, but we have a mitzvah, it's called tzitzis, and, uh, and she, she is totally amazed by this, and she tells, me, she tells him, I'm not going to leave you until you tell me who, who which yeshiva you go to, who your teacher is. And he leaves her, and she goes to yeshiva, the yeshiva of Rebchia, and she asks Rebchia to convert her to Judaism. So Mara says, um, that they married, and the same, uh, the same beds that she set up for him when she was a harlot, 
she set up the, with the same sheets she used to live a kosher marriage with him. So, so the uh, purpose of the story is to tell us that this is the mission of a Jew to transform evil to good. But the problem we have with this kind of story is that it seems to set the bar way beyond the ability of, every, of any human being. Even Moshe Rabbeinu. We learned that Moshe Rabbeinu, before coming to the Pharaoh, God encourages Moshe and says, uh, come to the Pharaoh, and Moshe is afraid to go to the Pharaoh, because the Pharaoh is, the, the, is a place of evil. And Hashem tells Moshe, don't worry, I'm going to go with you. Until Hashem assured Moshe Rabbeinu, he's going to go with him, then Moshe agreed to go to the Pharaoh. So in a similar way, um, the, uh, the, the existence of evil, and all different levels of evil, so the lowest levels of evil, are all relevant to all of us, and we're supposed to elevate the lowest levels of evil. How can we be asked to go down to the lowest levels of evil and to learn from a story like this, Obviously, um, this is not in the capability of, of most people to entertain these kinds of, of uh, challenges and to transform them. What's more likely to happen is, is that a person goes into this kind of environment that we're discussing, and he gets broken by it, and he gets swayed by it, and then he, he reinterprets his uh, ideals to fit his uh, passions. Um, What's the analogy they say? They say like a restaurant about the frog dying, but the frog in the hot water. In the hot water, it accommodates itself to the water and doesn't understand that the the lack, not the alacrity, the importance of uh, the change is happening to him. He doesn't realize the perception of how the water was going to become boiling. He accommodates to it. The frog goes in the water and he gets used to the hot water and says, ah, it's great, it's great, until the frog dies. Right. So, so aren't we saying something similar over here? It's saying, yes, your role is to go to the lowest levels of evil. We learned that the infant light of Hashem descends lower and lower and without any end. And that's the reason, and the reason we're learning in Kabbalah about the lowest levels of evil is because every Jew is meant to transform the lowest levels of evil. How can we do this? How can we say that? We pray every morning, God, please don't give me, bring me to a place of a challenge. We don't want to be challenged. We ask God to take away our challenges. And yet we're saying Kabbalah talks about this because every Jew is meant to transform. How does that make sense? Just before we go further, just to clarify, um, although people may think that Chabad is all about reaching to the farthest and lowest places in the world, there are rules. Um, there was a woman who wrote the Rebbe that she saw some yeshiva students in, in a place that was uh, unbecoming and never responded with the story of, of his father-in-law. The Rebbe Rashab once sent the previous Rebbe to a very challenging place, and before he went there, he, he told him he's sending him with a fur coat. She wore a fur coat. And uh, I know there was one mission of the previous Rebbe to, to a bar. He had to go visit a certain minister on a Friday night, and the only place he can go that was, that was um, close enough to the, where the minister lived on Friday night was this bar. They say a whole shop is in a bar. Um, and, and the previous was told to take a fur coat. And the, and the, the uh, Rebbe explained that the fur coat means a, fur, a spiritual fur coat. And how this is a relevance to all of us. And the Rebbe said these words, um, more or less. There are places you're not allowed to go. In the places that you are allowed to go, it's dangerous. 
So and you need to have you need to have a four code. In other words, you have to have a mimer, you have to have a sicha, you have to have a chapter of Tanya that you're taking with you. And we're not we're not uh, Superman, and you're not we're not able to be in all kinds of environments just because we um, are about something higher. It's not possible to 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 say that you're you're able to go to any challenging environment. And you're not supposed to say that. And that's not what the, what the world is about. The famous story of the Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon was once challenged by he once challenged the Dubna Magid to tell him something critical about himself. That he should learn. Give me some muster. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. So Dumna Magid said, "You're the Vilna Gaon, and you're living in this uh, attic in Vilna. Imagine." Going out into uh, Moscow in the big city and still be going. Now that will be a kunst. That will be something. That will be a feat. So Vilna Goyen said, My role in the world is not to make kunst. I don't have to make kunst. That's not my role to, 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 do, to make a feat, to do something impressive. I have to do what God wants me to do. And the truth is that God does not want us to go to a place of challenge. God does not want us to. Um, uh, God wants us to ask not to be challenged. He asks us, we, in our prayers, we say to God, Do not bring me to a place of challenge. So this is so this seems to contradict this this idea of, of of the Kabbalah tells us we have to know about all kinds of evil because we need to elevate all kinds of evil. So we're going to see the answer is that yes, we have to elevate all kinds of evil, but it doesn't mean you have to go to all places of evil. We're not supposed to learn from the story in the Talmud uh, to go to the uh, ocean, the islands, and and to challenge ourselves. That's that's wrong. Rather. We're going to see how there is something we could do and far, far away from a challenging place that has an impact on, on, on the world around us. Um, I don't remember right now where, where, which talk of this was, but I remember clearly Debra said that there are places like, it sounded to me like a monastery, certain places that, like, you know, it's halakhically forbidden to walk into certain places. And uh, Debra said that when you Jews studies Torah where he is, it brings light to the whole world. Even though there's a place you're not allowed to go, and that's a discussion itself in halacha, when you could and when you can go, but let's say there's a place you're not allowed to go. You, or at least let's say you're not allowed to go because of whatever reason, how it'll affect you. So it doesn't mean you can't affect that place by your studying the Torah. And that's what we're going to see similarly, um, the explanation of why uh, Kabbalah discusses all these levels of evil and uh, how our dis- studying about this has an effect on all kinds of evil. Just learning about it changes it. So let's, let's continue in chapter 5 of this discourse. We understand this by first prefacing the teaching of the Mizit Shemagid in the Maimar Mabas Lagani Rebbe quotes from all of the Rabbeim including Baal Shem Tev and the Magid. The Magid analyzes a verse in Parshas Bo. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu I have hardened Paro's heart and the reason I've hardened Paro's heart is Laman It's in order that I should place my miracles, I should cause miracles to happen in, in Egypt. So that's what the verse says. The so Magad explains. Because God wanted to elevate all the sparks of Egypt, to elevate all the things in Egypt which are um, things which have seemingly no purpose, all of the uh, unnecessary words of the Pharaoh and his ministers, God wanted to elevate that whole realm of, the, uh, of, of Egypt. So the word Oiseisai, which means my miracles, could also be read as Oiseis Shali, my letters. Hashem wanted to elevate 
the the uh, all of the the entire realm of Egypt, how is the realm elevate the Pharaoh, elevate his ministers, and elevate all the conversations and everything that's going on with those people is by putting letters in the Torah, putting the same, um, putting those. Putting those very same words and those same letters in the Torah and making Torah words out of their their words, or out of their I'm not sure if it's referring specifically to their words. As we'll see soon, the Rebbe says it's not just referring to their words; it's referring to all of the entire. It's referring to the existence of evil in in, in, in Egypt. Uh, but on the surface, the, just the translation of the words in the Chamagid to take the dvarim betelim, the the insignificant words of the Pharaoh. Um, and to make use those words to make something holy out of them. And that's the meaning of God saying, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to tell the Pharaoh, I'm going to make the Pharaoh's heart hard. Because of this, there's going to be three more stories in the Torah, three more plagues in the Torah. And by there being three more plagues in the Torah, that's going to transform the, uh, the energy of Egypt. Because the, they will, the energy of Egypt is now going to be a story in the Torah. If the God wouldn't have hardened the Pharaoh's heart, and he wouldn't have brought three more plagues upon the Egyptians, then we would be missing parts of the Torah, and we would be missing the ability to elevate those sparks. It's because those sparks were missing that God hardened the Pharaoh's heart to, um, to, to, to bring those sparks into the Torah. It's similar teaching that the Rebbe Mizrachim Maggit says about Lavan. It says the reason why Yaakov ran away from Lavan and Lavan chased after Yaakov was in order to, for Yaakov to elevate the sparks that were that were uh, still remaining with Lavan. Yaakov was with Lavan for many many years. Yaakov elevated many of the sparks that were at Lavan's home in Lavan's home. However, when Yaakov left, there were still some sparks left because Lavan chased after Yaakov. And there's now a whole new section in Parshas Vayetze, in Parshas, the, the, the Shishi Aliyah and the Shvi Aliyah, where Lavan chases after Yaakov, is all back and forth. Because he chased after Yaakov, there is more Torah. So by, by the, him chasing after Yaakov, he, he brought the sparks of holiness that were still with him to be in the Torah. So he's running after Yaakov, and through him running after Yaakov, his godly energy, which is in him, which is animating him, and and everything about him and his household is now being transferred into the Torah. It's becoming a story in Torah. Similarly, over here, God hardened Pharaoh's heart in order to bring up the energy of the Pharaoh and the Egyptians and to put that in the Torah. Okay. That's what the Magid says. Seba analyzes this further. The, 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 even the letters of the Pharaoh, even the letters which animate Paro, the Egypt, the whole land of, which is called the abomination of the earth, even as they have fallen into this world. In Kabbalah, there's different ways that a uh, that there could be a transfer of energy. Um, one one way is described as a yurida, a descent, a symptom, contraction. Then there is the fila. The fila means that there, it's fallen. There's a whole dramatic change. So even as the energy has fallen into Pari, into Egypt, it still remains my letters. They remain God's letters. And not only do they remain God's letters, but it's precisely because they have a higher source 
that they're able to descend so low to Egypt. It, it's indicative of their animating Pharaoh and the Egyptians that these godly sparks are indeed so lofty. It's because they they go so low that you know that they really come from a higher place. Therefore, God calls them, I'm, go- I'm going to put my miracles upon the Egyptians. And the Magad translates this, I'm going to put my letters upon the Egyptians. So we need to bring back those letters. The letters that are animating the Pharaoh and the anim- animating Egypt, animating all that lowly uh, space, bring it back to being God's letters, holy letters. And that's why it's written in the Torah. And by written, being written in the Torah, through this become, they become letters of Torah. Now it's no longer Pharaoh, it's no longer Egyptians, it's now letters of Torah. And by becoming letters of Torah, now it's possible to elevate that that realm as it has fallen, as these sparks have uh, shattered the vessels and fallen, they are able to be elevated because they are letters of Torah. So although the Magid says that the purpose of this being written in the Torah was to elevate the unimportant words or unimportant things about the Pharaoh. However, the simple translation of the verse is we're talking about Egypt. We're talking not just about unimportant things. We're talking about the great serpent who is among all the other serpents who says, I made the river and I made myself. The, the Torah describes the Pharaoh in the Haftorah of Hashanah as the great serpent. That means that the Pharaoh is described as the lowest form of evil. He says, I made the river, I made myself. And by elevating the the, um, sparks of holiness in the Pharaoh and in Egypt, through this, you're actually able to elevate the realm of Egypt itself. And not just elevate Egypt itself, but the Torah says, Rabbi Rasha's Rasha's whole essence is about L'Chadchila River, and the year the Rebbe said this discourse, it was a hundred years since the passing of the market, uh, the, the Rebbe Rash. The Rebbe Rash said that not only did was Pyra, um elevated, not only were the Jewish people extricated from the from Egypt and freed from Egypt, but the Torah uses the words, Pharaoh sent the people out of Egypt. And the Rebbe Rash uses the words, he sent fruit out of Egypt. He sent uh, branches out of Egypt, meaning that from Egypt itself, there was a contribution to holiness. There was a transformation and assistance to holiness. Not just they were they were freed from Egypt, but there was. The Torah says that Moshe told 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 Paro, "You're going to send with us animals for us to bring sacrifices to our God." So just like that's true in the simple sense, so too in the spiritual sense, there was godly energy that was released from Egypt that contributed to the to holiness. As the Talmud used the expression. About Egypt, the Torah says, I planted, God says, in um, Tezmei I planted for myself in the earth. So the Talmud explains, when you plant a seed, why would you plant a measurement of seeds? It's because you want to have so many more bushels of fruit. And so too, the, spark, the letters of Torah that became the Pharaoh and became Egypt, um, they have now become my. They have now become again my letters, letters of Hashem, letters of Torah, and they've been transformed to become a very strong, powerful force in holiness. So there was a descent. They, they fell to become the existence of the Pharaoh and the existence of the lowest kind of existence. As we learned a few times, that the, the, the clip of the Pharaoh is saying, 
I made the river, made myself. He totally rejects the whole notion of there being a higher power other than himself. I made the river, made myself. So that existence of the Pharaoh, which comes from the, the, the words of the Torah, is now able to be elevated and transformed, and that's the purpose of why those letters fell in the first place. And now we can answer our question. Now we could explain, although we ask and we're told to, be, to ask, do not bring me to a place of challenge, yet Hashem demands of every Jew not only to elevate, Hashem demands of every Jew to elevate even the lowest things that, there, that, that exist. Because how do we elevate these, these things? It's by studying about these things, the way they're written in the Torah. We're not, we're not going into realms that are challenging for ourselves. We're just studying those things the way they're in Torah. Like, for example, there's halacha. You're not supposed to, to discuss, you're not supposed to learn about idolatry. You're not, allowed to read, you're not allowed to read books which talk about idolatry. It's forbidden. You're not allowed to learn what they do and their laws. Why? Because this may cause you to go after idolatry. And yet, although we're not allowed to learn about idolatry, yet we're commanded to study the whole Torah. We're also supposed to learn the laws of idolatry. In the laws of idolatry, there are many details about different ways that, that people serve their idols. When you learn Maimonides and you learn about idolatry, you're, learn, you, you're, not, you're actually learning idolatry. You learn about the history of idolatry, you learn about the methods of idolatry, you learn about different ways that they serve their, their idols. So, one second, are you, not, are you not supposed to study idolatry? You are not supposed to study idolatry. You now I'll read their books. So how can you read Maimonides when he tells you the details of idolatry exactly how to worship their idols? How is that allowed? If you're not supposed to study idolatry because it might sway your heart, then how come it's kosher and commendable and a mitzvah to study the laws of idolatry? The answer is that the details of idolatry as they are written in the Torah are part of Torah. So it sounds similar to there was another occasion about various Torah portions that have names of people that uh, like Parshas Balak. I spoke about Balak, and how it, it seems strange that a whole the Torah portion should be named after a wicked person. And the, the 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 basic point is that that when the Torah itself talks about idolatry, since the Torah is truth. By the Torah describing something, the Torah describing idolatry, like in, in, in when we read about how the Jewish people left Egypt, they, they, they were near an idol. The Torah says the name of the idol, they're near, near, near uh, Baltifone. Uh, why is the Torah describing their location based upon an idol? You're not going to say to someone, hey, I'm, I'm near the green church. You're not going to do that. So how can the Torah itself use an, the idol as a landmark? And the answer is, that since the Torah is, 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 the, is diametrically opposed to the whole idea of idolatry, so the Torah talks about idolatry, it's actually um, an, it, it's a form of destroying the idolatry. In other words, it's like it's like writing the book about your enemy's demise. You know, it's like like who, you're writing a book about your destruction of your enemy. It's not it's not it's not a, it doesn't extol the virtue of the idolatry. It doesn't doesn't hold it up on a pedestal. On the contrary, the Torah is talking about idolatry, puts the idolatry down. Because the Torah is the book of the of the light of Hashem, so the Torah's description of idolatry is not is not is not giving. When you say you meet by the Green Church, just in the vernacular, just talking to somebody, you are giving um, power and you're ascribing some some significance to the idolatry. 
However, when, when the Torah describes idolatry, the Torah is negating its existence. So in a similar way, we're allowed to learn the laws of the Torah about idolatry because it's similar to... Um, it's similar to... Um, that doesn't use example here. I thought he did. When you're um, looking for chametz, to destroy the chametz, Yomara says that if you forget to start look for a chametz uh, before Pesach, you're commanded to go and look for chametz on Pesach. One second. Why are you looking for chametz on Pesach? The whole purpose of looking for chametz before Pesach is to make sure you don't see any chametz on Pesach lest you may eat it, eat it by accident. So how can you go look for chametz on Pesach when you're going to, um, when you may, you may end up seeing that cake that you're trying to avoid? And the answer is that you are looking to destroy the, the chametz. Since your goal is to destroy the chametz, so therefore it's not, you're not going to be enticed by the chametz. In a similar way, uh, when the Torah itself describes idolatry, it negates idolatry. It, like the Torah says about, in Parshas Toldos, Rashi says, this Torah portion talks about Yaakov and about Esau. And the Rashi used the expression, Yaakov and Esau are discussed in the Torah portion. Esau is part of Torah. So when you study the laws of idolatry, that itself negates it. Especially, that concludes this chapter with the words, especially when you study the law, which later comes to actual observance of this law, that you have to you have to um, be disgusted by idolatry, you have to destroy idolatry. When you learn that law, just learning about it, that causes, in, in the existence of idolatry in the world, and the lowest form of idolatry, the, the idolatry of the Pharaoh, who says, I made the river, I made myself, are you studying about that law to destroy idolatry? That just, just studying about that law causes the obliteration of the idolatry completely. So we answered our question. The question was, how can we go into a place of challenge? How are we meant to go to places that can challenge us? The answer is, we're not we're studying in the Torah about all these forms of evil. We say the purpose of this is we have to transform it. How is it meant to transform all these forms of evil? It's, it's going to challenge us. The answer is, we're not asked to go and like that guy you went to the island, Pastor Shalom. That was a mistake, and I was supposed to do that. Hashem helped him, and he was able to do teshuva, and he's able to, miraculously, Hashem helped him. But that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to study the laws of idolatry, just studying Kabbalah about the forms of klippah, and by studying the Torah's um, words about them, just like the Mzitzha Maggot says that the Egyptians were elevated by their story being written in the Torah, so too when you study Torah, you transform the evil that's in the world. That's the basic idea. Any questions or comments before we... All right. Chazaka Baruch. Have a great day. Amen. Thank you.